Good morning, I'm Sheila Morris. Our reading is from Paul's letter to the Galatians chapter two. But when Cephas, also known as Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if, righteousness, if, for if righteousness were through the law, then Jesus died for no purpose. The word of the Lord. I don't have a racist bone in my body. So I don't have a racist bone in my body, do you? Yes, you do. So do I. Why? Because you're human. And you know what it means to be human? Sinful. The Bible says we are all sinful, broken, and fallen. And as a result, all of us have cultural preferences that we can kind of elevate. We have inborn biases that sometimes we're not aware of. And as a result, there are variations on prejudices. So, if you're sinful, there's some elements of just kind of preference, superiority that we can all fall into pretty easily. And while I'll use the term racism kind of loosely covering a whole lot of things, I can't say I don't have a racist bone in my body. I can say I'm sinful, fallen, and I'm probably more messed up than I'm willing to admit. And the church, Christians of all people, should be willing to admit and confess not anxious when I'm talking about these things. We believe in the gospel, right? A gospel of forgiveness by grace. But we also as a church need to be willing to confess the brokenness and history of brokenness in the church. In his book, um, The Color of Compromise, Jamar Tisby walks through the history of the American church in some of its good aspects in relation to slavery and segregation and racism, but also some of its weaknesses. Look, the abolitionist movement was pushed by the church, 
but slavery was also upheld by churches and Christians and people who claimed the name of Jesus. There were Christians who walked alongside of Martin Luther King in the civil rights movement. And the civil rights movement was itself a movement of the church, especially the black church. But of course, the church was also complicit in a lot of places in upholding a system of segregation, of separate and not equal. And last summer, of course, we had the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, and then racial protests that arose out of some of those, right? There was a national reckoning with race that maybe had been put off for a few decades, and a national conversation that began that caused a lot of anger and anxiety. And that's my question for us. Like, even just you think about back to that time last summer, what was your response? Was it fear or anger? or defensiveness? I mean, even as I'm talking about this, are, are you feeling a little bit anxious? <laughs> My guess is, as I'm even bringing these things up, each one of you, because I'd be doing the same thing, is creating judgments on me, trying to say, do I, do I agree with him, do I not agree with him? On every specific issue, and trying to wonder what's underneath of it politically. I think there's a spiritual element to this issue. Do not discount that. Look, we all know what the Bible says, or most of us do. Let me just clear it out for you guys. The Bible is clear. Every person is made in the image of God and as a result is endowed with deep and eternal dignity and worth, regardless of race or ability. From conception to natural death, every person is endowed with inherent, God-given value, and worth that is equal on all levels. Jamar Tisby, in his other book, writes about the Christian view on the value of humanity this way. Christianity teaches that all people are made in the very image of God. We are God's crowning creation. And each person is precious simply because they are human. Their physical appearance, including skin color, are part of bearing God's image. God endows us with absolute value. We are made in his image. And the gospel pushes it a step further. You know that? The gospel is very clear that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ crucified. That every single one of us is deeply sinful and deeply loved. And that there is not any one of us based on our nationality or our performance or even our moral goodness that gets any closer. We're all sinful and we need the, the cross of Christ. And yet the cross of Christ is available for everyone, regardless of their abilities, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their bank account, regardless of how much failure they've had in their life. Everyone, for everyone, the gospel is fully available. But I also think we need to keep pushing that gospel deeper and wider in our lives. There's not an area of our life that the cross doesn't want to push into and push out from. And I do believe, look, the, the, especially black-white racism in America, but also you can hit on other uh, racial tensions there, is still an issue in this country. 
If we were in a different country, we'd have a different set of similar issues. It might be classism or xenophobia or nationalism or ethnocentricity, or it might be uh, putting down indigenous peoples versus kind of the more European peoples. We all have it because we are human. But this is the issue or is a primary issue in our country. And Paul directly confronts Peter on the issue of his racism with regards to his relationship to and interaction with Gentiles. But when he does, he talks about it as a gospel issue. In other words, it's not enough simply to believe that the gospel is true. Galatians wants you to believe Jesus died for your sins, yes. But Paul also wants us to see the implications for every area of our life and be willing to open up everything and say, I want to expose everything to the gospel. The air is heavy in here, and it's not just because the air is not moving. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to join with me in praying before we dig in any deeper. God, our Father, you are Lord of the universe. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. There is evil in this world. Satan does exist. And we need protection in our hearts from the evil one. We also need to expose the depth of our sin and brokenness and not leave any area unturned. But know that we can come to you exposing our brokenness, our fears, our defensiveness, our need for control, our self-protection, our anxieties. And we can lay them before the cross because it is a cross of forgiveness and grace, of hope and of life and of healing and of resurrection. So we give our hearts, our minds, and the rest of this conversation to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. In Galatians 2, Richard walked us through a portion of this, but I'm going to relook at it a little bit this morning as we go into the second half of Galatians chapter 2. The first thing we get in verses 11 through 13 is Peter's failure, and it's underlined here. Basically, Peter was up in Antioch, not in Jerusalem, another city where there was a church, a Christian church, with both Gentiles and Jews, and that was the issue in that culture, okay, Gentiles and Jews. And he, because of the gospel of grace and because of a revelation he had had earlier in his life, would eat with Gentiles, even though the average Jewish person would never do that. But as soon as certain Jewish Christians came from Jerusalem, kind of his old friend group, he stopped eating with the Gentiles. And Peter realizes what's going on, or Paul realizes what's going on here. He, he basically, I'm, I underlined a few of these, he's, he stands condemned for what he's doing. He's acting out of fear. He's afraid of people, and he wants their approval. He's acting hypocritically and leading others astray into hypocrisy. And so in verse 14, it says, Paul decides to conf- confront him, and he said, It's basically this, when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, you're a Jew, but you don't even follow the Jewish laws anymore. You live like a Gentile, so why are you forcing Gentiles to follow Jewish traditions? Why are you elevating Jewish tradition all of a sudden when you haven't been doing it for a number of years? But what he actually says is, you're not in step with the truth of the gospel. That, That word in step is translating ortho 
uh, like walking. You know, it's, it's podiatry type thing. Ortho, like you get an orthodontist, they straighten out your teeth. So basically he's saying you're not walking in the straight line of the gospel. It's like you're limping or falling off to the side. What are you doing? Because as soon as you limp off to the side, it's not the gospel anymore. Walk in the straight line of the gospel. See where it takes you. Run with that. And then he pushes the next couple of verses are not just about salvation. We've, I, I, I remember reading Galatians 2.16 and, and verse 20 and thinking it was only about salvation. It's actually pointing back to the issue in Antioch with Peter not being willing to eat with Gentiles. And what Paul is doing is pushing the gospel deep into the situation and saying, this is the surgery that needs to happen on this wound, on this cancer in you. And so what he talks about is that famous verses in verse 16 about a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus Christ. We believe in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one is justified. This is the core of the Reformation. It's Paul reminding Peter. He's not preaching to him like he's never heard this. He's like, hey, Peter, you know, you know the truth, right? We are justified by faith in Christ. Uh, Another way to translate it is the faithfulness of Christ. It actually doesn't make a difference. It's basically this. You are made right with God because of Christ. Faith in Christ, Christ's faithfulness, and not by works of the law. And works of the law is a whole technical thing. You can go read commentaries on it. It's religiousness. It is following ceremonial laws. But the basics of it are this. It's the difference between religion and the gospel. Every religious system you could ever be a part of, or even a secular system that is not religious, is religious in the sense that it is approaching life, trying to justify your existence, your purpose, your meaning, find your value, your worth, on the basis of performance, on the basis of things you and I do. And whether for a Jewish person in the first century it was circumcision and the food you ate, or for a modern American, it's where you went to school, the jobs you hold, the perfect family you have, and how manicured your lawn is. It doesn't matter. It's still a performance-based self-justification. And Paul is digging into, pushing into that whole justification thing. And that's a key term. Justification is a legal term that means that you're right with God. At least in Christian circles, we mean it as right with God. But justify or justification is something we all know. It's a common term outside of Christian circles as well. You can justify yourself on the basis of anything and not even care whether it's for God. And in that sense, the default mode of the human heart is self-justification. It is works-based righteousness. It is moral legalism. It is performance, achievement-based living. Every religion, every culture, every human heart tends that way. To justify yourself is to look to anything besides Christ crucified as the source of your meaning, your worth, your acceptance, your acceptance before God or others. And when we do that, what we're doing is actually building our self-esteem on the basis of something we do, our religiousness, our achievements, our church attendance, whatever it is that we value, and then we end up comparing ourselves with others. 
Whatever we use, our default mode of self-justifying, we will end up comparing ourselves with others. And that's where superiority and self-righteousness come in. How do you seek to justify yourself? What do you turn to for meaning and purpose? What is your identity built on? You know, in Northern Virginia, we may not deal as, as much with racial or ethnic superiority. Maybe we don't. But what we do is we have performance-based culture up here. If you're a kid who's grown up here, you grew up in Northern Virginia, you are going to be feeling the pressure constantly, whether you want it or not, to achieve. A's, APs, SATs, college applications. You've got to get into the right college, because if not, your, your life, I mean, what's going to happen to it? And your parents worry, and they ride you on homework, on your grades, on your college applications. So when you become an adult, how will you not justify yourself on the basis of your performance and success? How will you not look to the college you went to, the career you had? That's going to be the default mode of your heart. You might believe the gospel as a teenager. You might believe it as an adult. Yes, I'm loved and accepted by the grace of God. I'm loved and accepted because of Christ. But we constantly will turn to our performance and our successes as the source of our hope and our joy and be filled with pride and superiority or disdain for others or just feel inferior and shamed because we haven't lived up. Wherever we justify ourselves, we will compare ourselves and feel superior and disdainful for others. And that's essentially what racism is. It's looking to your ethnicity, your nationality, your color, your accent, to justify yourself and finding somebody else to put down and hold beneath you. But Paul goes to the gospel again and again. In verse 20, he says um, that, that great phrase that this is one you need to memorize if you haven't. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What Paul is reminding Peter, he's again reminding Peter of the gospel. He says, look, I am free. I am free from condemnation before God. I have no guilt, shame, or fear. Why? Because God views me, God views me as if I already died for my sin. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When God looks at me, he looks at, it's as if he's looking at his son, Jesus. He doesn't just say, Paul, the murderer. He says, ah, Paul, my son, I love, you died for this. No, he looks at us as if he's looking at Jesus. That's what Paul says. And now I live daily on the basis of that, on the basis of faith in Christ, not my performance for my acceptance before God and others. Do you see what, what Paul is doing here? What Paul is doing is not just telling Peter what not to do. So Peter's offense, Peter's offense was not just bad behavior. It was contradicting the gospel, right? It wasn't just bad behavior, it was contradicting the gospel, so he pushes into that issue. But we have to understand where Peter's coming from in this. Peter 
lived in a world of clean versus unclean. The ceremonial law was one part of the Old Testament that they tried to live by as Jewish people in order to be the distinct people of God, in order to worship in front of, in, in front of God, to participate in the community of, of Yahweh, you had to be circumcised, follow certain food laws. You couldn't touch a dead body or go near a Gentile. Gentiles, dead bodies, mildew, and lobster. They were all in that same category of bad things. Stay away from them. And from his birth until he was a, an adult, many years later, Peter had heard this again and again and again. It was what everyone did around him. They followed these ceremonial laws of what made you clean and what made you unclean. And eating and who you ate with was incredibly powerful and important. Beth Moore sums it up this way in some of the challenges of eating with Gentiles as a Jew, even as a Jewish Christian. Sharing salt and dipping bread in the same bowl had covenantal overtones. It was like a marriage ceremony. Therefore, sitting at the same table as Gentiles, let alone eating their food, was an unthinkable reversal. When Christian Jewish people started eating with Gentiles. That was unthinkable. But Peter, back in Acts 10, which we talked about last week, had had a vision from the Lord where he was told, you cannot call anyone unclean on the basis of their ethnicity because Christ has come. He goes on to say, God shows no partiality for any particular culture or race. The gospel of grace is available to all, Jew and Gentile. In fact, the amazing thing was when Gentiles, who were not circumcised and had never followed food laws, when they put their faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit fell on them as well. Who can deny what God is doing here? Something new. So he knew this. He believed this and he had walked in it. And yet, and yet the problem was there was this old part of him. There was the self-justifying part, the superior part. And so, when certain people came from Jerusalem, it says that he was fearing the circumcision party. Nowadays, that phrase sounds really weird. I don't want to go to that party either. I would be afraid. But basically, he's afraid of his old friends and some of their prejudices or their tendencies. They show up. And the amazing thing is this. Think about this. Peter according to Acts, had been imprisoned, beaten, and nearly executed for preaching the gospel. And he was not afraid. Not afraid of the Romans, not afraid of those who could arrest him, not afraid of those who beat him or could could kill him. But some old friends come from Jerusalem. And he betrays the gospel in a second because he's afraid of their disapproval. There's clearly some element of deep-rooted superiority inside of Peter that's being hinted at here. Peter's whole life was lived as a faithful Jew, and he viewed Gentiles as inferior and unclean. It is hard, it is hard not to revert back to cultural norms and personal preferences and to elevate those things. All of us have them. All of us have cultural preferences. And they're not, they're not morally good or bad necessarily. They're just the differences between cultures, nationalities, places where you live, things you like, type of music, type of food, things you're supposed to wear, way to approach things. But we tend to view our group's customs as the best, as superior to others. It's just a natural leaning of ours as selfish and sinful people. And we can easily self-justify on the basis of our customs, our preferences. This makes me better. 
this is what makes me right. I'm in because I do this, or I don't do that. This is why we need the gospel and why Paul pushes into the need for the gospel. You know what Paul doesn't say to Peter? He doesn't confront him with this whole kind of stopping eating with Gentiles thing. He doesn't say, Peter, stop your bad behavior. Stop acting so immature. You know how to hold the fork. He doesn't say, stop being a racist. He says, instead, hey, Peter, you know the gospel. I know the gospel. We both believe in Jesus. Think through its implications, Peter. If Paul had simply said, stop your bad behavior, it's possible Peter might have felt ashamed and tried to change. But he would probably later on be tempted, maybe when Paul wasn't around, to act superior to Gentiles in other ways. Or he'd have found something else, maybe not kind of being better than Gentiles, he would have found something else to feel better in comparison to others. Or to gain acceptance from those he felt like he needed the approval of. He would have fallen into self-justification in these old ways if Paul had simply said, stop the bad behavior. It's not enough to just try to curb your behavior. You and I have to see why we do the things we do. It's not enough just to try to be a better Christian. We need to let the gospel penetrate the depths of our hearts and displace our false idols, the false gods that sit on the throne of our heart. And so Paul uses the gospel. He says, Peter, you and I, we both know that we are justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. And this is true for Jews and for Gentiles, for all people. We're all saved by faith in Christ, not by any goodness we do. We both know, we both know, Peter, that God views us as fully justified, as if you and I died on the cross. We do not need, we do not need other people's approval. We don't even need our own approval. We have God's full approval by grace because of what Christ did for us on the cross. Remember that and live that way. Think about actually how much gentler and more humble and more generous that approach is. He identifies with him, says, you know the gospel, I believe the gospel, let's live that way, not stop your racism and bad behavior. This is the truth with love. It is pushing into hard truth, but with a loving reminder of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And that's what gospel integrity is about, is pushing the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ deeper into our hearts and out into our lives. It's keeping in step, walking in step with the gospel. Christian discipleship is about being formed into the image of Christ. You and I are meant to look more and more like Christ. And that is being formed in us, in our lives. And this involves pushing through the implications of the gospel into every area of our life, deep into our heart and out into our lives. Tim Keller in his Galatians study says, it's bringing everything in our lives in line with the direction of the gospel, 
thinking out its implications in every area of our lives and seeking to bring our thinking, feeling, and behavior in line with the gospel. We know the gospel. You and I are sinful, more sinful than we're willing to admit. But we are more loved in Jesus Christ than we can dare to imagine. We are sinful, we are loved. The gospel of grace, when a Christian believes in that gospel of grace, that we are more sinful, more loved, they're willing to admit their sin, to see the depth of their sin. And so when we're in that place, we can be critical of all cultures, including our own, and humble with our own. Because we realize, I am not by nature more holy, more righteous, more save-worthy. I'm not because of my ethnicity, my nationality, my giftedness, my accomplishments, more holy, more righteous, or more save-worthy. I'm as sinful as anybody else and dependent upon the grace, mercy, and love of Jesus Christ as anyone else. My value is not in my culture or my race or my politics or my goodness or just because I'm the best preacher in the town of Vienna, whatever it is you build your life on. Like, you, we all have something. You laugh at me, but just, it's just because you don't care about that. You have something that you build your identity on. That is not where your value is. It is in Christ crucified. You cannot gain or lose that any more than you already have it fully in Christ. Gospel integrity versus the hypocrisy that Peter was living into in this moment, is living increasingly in step with the gospel so that our worldview, our, our identity, our relationships, our work, our politics, what we do with our money and how we view it, our bodies, our behavior, our thoughts, our words, even our desires are built on shaped by and aligned with the truth of the gospel more and more and more. What areas of your life are not in line with the gospel? What are you living for? Where do you turn to warm the fire of your heart? The gospel reminds us, you are accepted in Christ. Stop living in fear, in guilt, in shame. And you are loved because of Christ. Trust him and walk in step with him. Let us pray. Oh God, you made us in your own image and you have redeemed us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Look with compassion on the whole human family. Take away the arrogance and the hatred which so easily infect our hearts. Break down the walls that separate us. Unite us in bonds of love. And work through our struggle and our confusion to accomplish your purposes on earth, that in your good time all nations and all races may serve you in harmony around your heavenly throne. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.